Well, hey, good morning, everyone. Are you well? Good, good to be together. Well, welcome to part six, the penultimate installment, folks, of our foundation series, where we've been laying down the brickwork to build our lives upon. We're looking at Jesus's commands to take everything we are and everything we do and build it on his teaching, the best foundation for our lives. So far, we've looked at essential bricks in our foundation that we need as followers of Jesus. We've looked at faith in God, repentance, which if you remember we talked about just means to make a U-turn. We've looked at baptism in water, the Holy Spirit. Last week, we looked at the light topic of eternal judgment. And today, we're going to lay the next brick in the foundation of our lives. And if you're here today, you're joining us online, um, and you missed last week's message, I'd encourage you, if you can, to go back and have a look at it, whether it's on podcast or on YouTube, because that'll give you the best preparation to fully understand what's going on this morning. But here's a quick recap from last week. The Bible teaches us that there will come a day when everyone who is living, ever lived, and will live, will stand before God and give an account in his judgment, which simply means to make a decision on how we'll spend eternity. The Bible teaches us that there's two kinds of judgment, one for those who have rejected Christ as Savior in this life, and the second kind of judgment for those who are believers who took the decision to follow Jesus. And remember that we as believers, as we have said, will one day stand before Jesus face to face and give an account of our lives. Now, let me ask you this, church. Have you ever had a recurring dream? Anybody? Yeah. Or maybe for some of us, you've had a recurring nightmare. No. Let me share with you this morning my recurring nightmare. Do you remember? Okay. And I know I've said to you before, there's a fine line between preaching and therapy, but that's okay. Right. We'll keep it between us. So my recurring nightmare, church, is I am back at Stranmillis University College, teaching college, right? I am in college hall. Now, College Hall is, it's not a building, it's not even there anymore, but College Hall is like a big assembly hall, right? I'm sitting at a single exam desk. I can see the wooden floor, the tartan curtains, don't know who chose them, the lime gray green wall, and I can nearly smell, do you know that old, musty, old school assembly hall smell? But that's not the nightmare. The nightmare really begins, I think somebody's earpiece is maybe going there, folks, if you just want to check it. The nightmare really begins, folks, at the moment when an exam paper is set down in front of me, and on the paper it says, mad, right? Is mad anybody else's nightmare? No? Okay. So the reason it's a nightmare for me is, one, I can't do maths, Right? I just, I can't do it. I've never been very good at it. Scrape my GCSE B with, it, with the, the, the skin of my teeth, right? I'm not very good at maths. But the second thing is this. This is where it really gets me, and this is where it wakes me up every time. I am never, ever prepared for the maths exam. I look around me, and I see everybody else is prepared and knows what's coming. But in this dream, or in this recurring nightmare, I'm never prepared for the maths exam. So I start panicking, and then I wake up thinking, oh, it's okay, I've gone to Bible college, I'm not at Strand anymore, right? <laughs> you know, church, each and every single one of us will sit a final exam. As believers, the Bible teaches us that one day we will stand before Jesus and our lives following him will be examined. 
Now, if you missed it last week, remember that we won't be judged for our sins. We won't be punished for our sins as believers. Why? Because Jesus took our punishment. Jesus took the judgment on himself at the cross. So you and I will stand there not wearing our own righteousness, not wearing the good things that we have done, but standing there because all of what Jesus has done. That's the good news about eternal judgment. But we will be churched examined on not whether we believed in Jesus, but how we lived because we believed in Jesus. We'll be examined not whether or not we put our faith in what Jesus did at the cross, but the impact the cross had on our daily lives. And so, church, this morning, what we want to look at is how are we going to prepare for that final examination, a final exam called the believer's judgment. And we're going to learn how to get prepared for that this morning. Why don't we pray? Lord Jesus, I thank you for your word. Lord, for its preciousness, that it brings light into our darkness. That, Lord, it is a light for our path and direction for our feet. And, Lord, today I thank you that your word is here to give us what we need. To minister to us. To speak your hope and your love into our lives, that, Lord, we might stand before you face to face, Lord, with confidence and great expectation that we're meeting the lover of our souls and the captains of our future. That, Lord, your word would prepare us today to hear those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. And in Jesus' name, the church said, amen. Well, come with me to 2 Corinthians 5, beginning verse 10. The Apostle Paul writes this to the church. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Now keep that phrase in your head, judgment seat of Christ. So that each of us may receive what is due for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. And so the first question we might have, church, is well, what is the judgment seat of Christ? What is Paul talking about here when he uses that phrase? Well, the Greek term there is, if you don't know, the New Testament was written in ancient Greek. Um, The word that the author uses there is actually bima in the Greek. Judgment seat in the Greek means bima or a bima seat. And what it actually relates to is this. Back in ancient Greece, particularly during the, the original Olympics, there would be a bima seat, which was like a seat on a raised platform or the seat itself would be raised. And that's where the judges of the competitions of the Olympics would sit. And what would happen is once the runners had finished their races, the winners would gather around the bema seat, the judgment seat. And the judge would hand out, like we see in the Olympics, rewards. He would reward the winners of the race. It's a bema seat, the judgment seat. And so, church, we have to understand that the judgment seat of Christ or the bema seat of Christ isn't a seat of condemnation. It's not a a seat of exposing sin because Jesus died for a sin. It's a seat, church, that is about rewarding believers for the life that they've lived for Jesus. The judgment seat, the bema seat, is about Jesus rewarding those who have lived and loved for him. It's a seat to hear the words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Here's some of the things that the scripture talks about that we're rewarded for, and these are only a few. Number one, compassion for the vulnerable. Two, taking insult and being excluded for following Jesus. 
Three, generous giving. Four, hospitality that can't be repaid. Five, love for enemies. Endurance in, God, endurance in serving God when it gets difficult. Quality of work for our employer. Faithfulness through trials. Faithfulness to the truth of the Bible. And life that is motivated to please God and just for Him. And you know what, church? I really want this to be an encouragement to us this morning. As I was reading down that list that I had found, I immediately thought of you. I thought of Carrick Nazarene, our church, and all the people who I see so often, and I know I'm only, my walking with you and having the privilege of shepherding you, I only see, scratch the surface of all that God does in and through you, but I thought of you. I thought of your generosity. I thought of those of you I know who open your home so willingly for others to come in. I know those of you who are faithful to the Word of God, who do put in the work for your employer because you understand your job is more less than a job and more of a calling. And I see that in so many of you and all of you, how God is working in and through you. And so I want to begin with this, church, by encouraging you. I believe the Lord and how we have walked with Him will reward many. That the judgment seat of Christ, church, is about Jesus rewarding and saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. Be blessed, church. Be encouraged. Look with great expectation for crossing that finish line to meet Jesus at the judgment seat. But I know what you might be thinking. Jordan, you said that we're not judged for our sins, but that scripture in 2 Corinthians says we'll be judged for what we've done in the body, good or bad. So how do those two things come together? Well, commentators would say that a better interpretation for the Greek for bad there doesn't mean bad as in sinful, but bad as in, and this is interesting, worthless. Not bad as in sin, but bad as in worthless. In other words, Jesus will judge how we've lived for him, whether we've built lives based on what he calls good and right, or what he calls here worthless. Now, we're going to get to that later. But another question you may have, church, is, well, as Christians, should we really live for reward? Is that what this is really about? You know, standing before Jesus one day and saying, well, look, this is, this is all I've done. But we know, don't we, that we don't stand before Jesus for anything we've done, ultimately. It's all about what Jesus has done. But again and again and again, church, through the epistles or the letters to the church in the New Testament, and again and again through the gospels, Jesus and the apostles continually talk about living for eternal reward. Not becoming so blindsided by our lives here on earth, but actually understanding that there will be a day where we'll give an account before God, and He will reward us accordingly. He'll reward us as to how we've lived for Jesus. But I, I understand, because I struggle with this as well. I understand if you're thinking, but Jordan, I don't, don't want to live for Jesus for, for reward. Like, what is, what's the point of that? And I get your heart. But here's what Warren Wearsby said, and I found this really helpful this week. He writes this, is the desire for reward a proper motive for service to Jesus? The fact that God does promise rewards is proof that the motive is not a sinful one, even though it may not be the highest motive. Just as parents are happy when their children achieve recognition, so our Lord is pleased when his people are worthy of recognition and reward. The important thing, and I love this, is not the reward itself, but the joy of pleasing Christ and honoring him. 
it will be a time of rejoicing as we glorify the Lord by giving our rewards back to Him in worship and praise. Here's the point of the judgment seat, church. It's about receiving rewards from Christ for how we have lived for Him in this life and then getting to say, Jesus, it was all about you anyway. Lord, I lay them at your feet. That's why sometimes in Scripture you see the phrase, we take our crowns and we lay them at his feet to say, Lord, it's all been about you. Anything that's brought, been brought good, anything that has been light in my life, Lord, I hand it back to you and say, Jesus, receive all the glory. And church, I wonder, what kind of rewards will you and I have to lay at his feet at eternity? Because here's the reality of Scripture. Not everyone will receive the same rewards, and not every believer will necessarily be rewarded. You say, Jordan, how can you say that? Come with me a wee second to uh, the Apostle John writes in his second letter to the church. Watch out that you do not lose what we have worked for so hard to achieve. Be diligent so that you receive, watch this word carefully, your full reward. In other words, church, if there are full rewards, that means there's partial rewards, and it means that there's no rewards. When I was playing football, um, I know another football illustration, bear with me, but um, I've played in five football finals, okay? Won three, lost two. Uncoincidentally, the three were with school, and the other two with, with more amateurs. Amateur by name, amateur by nature, Okay. But out of those five matches, usually what you got is either a winner's medal or what Miranda calls a loser's medal, right? A runner-up medal. And here's the thing, church. See, when I look at a runner's-up medal, right, that was a reward for making it to the final. It was a recognition, you've made it. You've got to the final. But is that runner's-up medal a full reward? No. Is that runner's-up medal a full recognition for all that was done? No. It says, you've made it to the end, well done, but it's not a full reward. The full reward were for the winners of the competition, the champions, and the runners-up medal, whether we like it or not, is a lesser reward. And church, in eternity for believers, it will be the same. There will be many who will receive their full reward who stepped into all that God called them to do in obedience and love, and there will be those who will receive a partial reward because their life with Christ after the cross was not all that God had called it to be. And there will be those, church, who will come with no reward whatsoever. And we're going, Jordan, is that really fair? Is that even biblical? Is that what Scripture really says? Come with me to 1 Corinthians 3, verses 10 to 15. The Apostle Paul, again writing to the church, says this, because of God's grace to me, I have laid the foundation like an expert builder. Remember, this is our foundation series. Now, others are building on it, but whoever is building on this foundation must be very careful. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. Verse 12, anyone who builds on that foundation may use a variety of materials. Where do you hear this? Gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on judgment day, 
fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a, let's hear you. We'll try again. Ah, but if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through the flames. Church, this really takes us back to the beginning of our series. Jesus calls us to use his teaching as the foundation to build our lives upon. Like we said, everything we are, everything we do, built on his words. We know, church, from the beginning of our series, Jesus himself is our foundation. But notice what Paul says here. Not every believer will build on that foundation in the same way. Some will build their lives, church, with gold, silver, and jewels, and other believers will build with wood, hay, and straw. And what's the difference between those materials? One set, gold, silver, is refined and will survive fire, and the rest gets burned up. And the reason the Apostle Paul uses this illustration, church, is this, is that the examination the final exam of the believer's judgment. Our lives will be tested with fire, which just means God's word, to see what parts of our lives we have built with gold, silver, and jewels, which will be rewarded at the judgment seat. But anything, church, that we have built with wood, hay, or straw will be burned up. As we read earlier, worthless, disregarded. And church, my question to you today is, as a believer, what materials are you building your life with? Are you building with what God has said, gold, silver, and jewels, or what will be burned up? Because here's the thing, church, many will stand before the judgment seat, before the beaming seat of Christ, and entire parts of their lives will survive that examination and will be rewarded by Jesus himself. We'll meet him face to face. And there'll be those believers, church, who sadly will have built entire parts of their lives which they thought was for God, which they thought was for good, and I'll get burned up in an instant. And like the scripture says, like someone escaping through the fire, they're saved, they're held by God in eternity forever, but there's no reward. Now, I don't know about you, church, but let's be believers who live for eternal reward. Let's be believers who say, this life isn't what it's all about. There's another life to come, and I want to live for it. I want to build my life my marriage, my career, raising children, whatever it is for you in your life right now, even your retirement, build it with gold, silver, and jewels so that when we stand before God, it'll be rewarded and not burned up. But here's a key question, church. How do you know if I'm building my life with gold and silver and not wood and hay? How practically can we be prepared for the exam at the Bema Seed. And church, there's many practical ways, but I want to give you one today. One way we can be prepared for the Bema Seed is to simply have eternal perspective. Connor, would you give me that rope a wee second? Yet? So if we were told today, if we had 24 hours to live, and in those 24 hours, how we live would determine how we would live for the next 1,000 years. Thanks, mate. Church, do you think we would change some things? right? Connor, would you take the other end of that for me? Sorry. I always give them the last minute awkward jobs. Thank you. So, Connor, if you could walk to the back of the church for me. 
right? You've maybe seen this done before. This is an old illustration by Francis Chan. Keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going, keep going. Got a knot. Out the door, out the door. Keep, if it goes to Green Island, keep going. <laughs> keep going, keep going. Even if you have to go straight out the door, just close the door so we don't get free, froze. In fact, I see Connor, are you okay? Stay there, mate. Thank you. Now, this rope can go longer. And what I want you to do, church, is to pretend with me for a second that this rope doesn't just go out the door and onto the main street, which I actually think it would, but that this rope extends all the way around the world, that this is a never-ending rope. And you know what, church? It's a little bit like our existence. Scripture is really clear. The body has a beginning and an end with resurrection, but the spirit, who we really are, never has an end. We are eternal beings. And church, just like this rope, our lives will never end. They go on forever. But our lives on earth, church, last for about as long as this we read bit at the end. And then at the end comes the judgment and then the rest of our existence in eternity. And remember, eternity never ends. It's the whole point. It goes on forever and ever. Even a few times a million by a billion, you're still nowhere near the end of eternity. It has no end. And so, church, if we were told you have 24 hours to live and how you live in those 24 hours will determine how you spend forever once you pass, we would change some things, wouldn't we? Maybe we would think differently, act differently, and our perspective might be changed. Now, here's what Scripture says, that there will be many believers, church, who will live just for this wee bit who'll work their whole lives and then enjoy the wee bit at the end called retirement, right? That's the perspective. I'll, I'll, I'll get as much comfort in this wee bit here on earth, the minimum time I will spend here. This is where I'll put my effort into. I'll try and get as much comfort and as much fun as I can here and I'll not think about the rest of my existence. And what the Bible encourages us to do, church, is have an eternal perspective. Many people's perspective, church, is about 70 to 80 years. But what the Bible calls us to do is to have a perspective that lasts for eternity. To say that what I do here matters forever. How I think, act, and believe in this short space of time on earth will echo till the end of days. And as believers, church, we've got to be careful that life doesn't all become about this wee bit, but actually there's another life to come. You know, church, I wonder if in our living for Jesus, if we looked beyond this earthly life, would we forgive quicker and be less offended? Because time is short and people are precious. I wonder, church, if we were more focused on this bit less focused on this, but more focused on eternity, would we give sacrificially? Because we know that actually at the end of days, we're not going to bring any cash with us to heaven, but we're going to sow into an eternal kingdom. I wonder, church, if we would see our work as less of a job or an occupation, but actually a place and a people that God has called us to for this time on earth that will impact their eternity also. I wonder, church, if we were to look at the kingdom of God and the church of God and look beyond this lifetime, that it's not just about what we consume, but how we contribute to the kingdom of God. 
And church, I wonder if only we could see, not just with a 70 to 80 year span in mind, but a, a time, church, where our entire eternity will be defined in the one chance we've got to live here on earth, we might say, Lord, I will love you and I will love people with all that I am and all that I have. Because here's the thing, church, see every little good thing that we do out of love for God and people doesn't just count here. Jesus wants to reward it all through here. And you know, there's so many believers today, church, who don't understand that even the small things or what we think are small things will be big things at the seat of judgment. Even the things we think don't matter, but we do it because we love the Lord and we love people, is rewarded not just in this life, but in the life to come. And this is only my personal opinion, and I know this isn't what the pulpit's for, but I wonder this morning if some of the most well-rewarded people in heaven will be the people we've never heard of. The people who were faithful in the wee things, the people who were just loving God, loving people, who get rewarded beautifully before the master. I was at a, a meeting recently where someone had shared with me that when they were in nursing, um, they used to do this thing, and this was just their wee way, one wee way that they love God and love people, was when a patient would ask her for a drink of water, and when she went into the side room, what she could have done was this, stuck the tap on and just and went straight back out again. Here you go, I've got important stuff to do. And she said basically this, that she felt the Lord challenging her to leave the tap running a wee bit longer, that the water might be a wee bit colder and a wee bit fresher for this patient. She'd take a wee bit extra time, turn the tap off, and go in and give it to her. Church, even those moments are richly rewarded in heaven. Anything you did for the least of these, you did for me. And church, I want to encourage you with this today. See what we maybe think is small and insignificant here. Church can be rewarded beautifully here. The things we think don't matter. The things we think no one else sees, he sees. He honors and he acknowledges. Church, I know there's people in this room, you do beautiful things for the kingdom of God and for people that nobody else knows about. And you know what the beauty of that is, church? The things that we think were small turn out to be large at the judgment seat, and we get to lay it down at his feet. But church, it all begins by saying, this isn't the end. This isn't the limit of my perspective. I'm just not living for earth. I want to live for eternity. Church, don't live for now. Live for eternity. Would you stand with me? I wonder if, uh, as we close, if the worship team could come up. And I want to finish with this quote from C.S. Lewis and his words about eternity. He writes this, if you read history, you will find the Christians who did the most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. And so church, as we step into a new week, I wonder if we could see everything we do and all that we are what we think is small, big, or somewhere in between, a significant for serving God. However you live your daily life, let it be something that one day you could lay down at his feet. Living here and only for here is wood, hay, and straw. It'll get burned up. But if we live for Jesus now, 
if we love God and love people for the sake of loving God and loving people. Church, we will build lives of gold, silver, and jewels that will not be built up, but will be rewarded at the judgment seat. Church, let's not just live for earth. Let's live for eternity. Can I pray for you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we just thank you for your word for the power of your word and what it represents. And Lord, I pray that you would stamp eternity on our hearts, that Lord, we would look beyond a 70 or 80 year perspective, that Lord, we would look beyond these short years that we have on earth. Lord, as your word says, our life is but a vapor. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But Lord, I thank you that you want us to build lives that will last into eternity. Lord, eternal impact in people's lives. And Lord God, we pray for generational impact also. That Lord, that what we do as believers and that Lord, what we do as a church will ring through the ages in eternity. That Lord, maybe people who we may never meet or who may never know will join us in heaven and say, thank you for doing what you did. Lord, I thank you that the small things matter to you. Lord, I thank you that the everyday things matter to you. And Lord, I pray that as we step out of these doors from our Sunday into our Monday, that we would know we are the loved, valued, and precious people of God. That, Lord, we would stand before your throne one day and say, Lord, it was all for you. That, Lord, we may hear those sweet words, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into your rest. And in Jesus' name, we all said, amen. Church, God bless you. We're going to sing one more song before we close.